This episode of Birds Up View is brought to you by Be More Around Town. If it's a major event in Baltimore or anywhere on the road, you know Be More Around Town is involved. From their efforts to support reopening day, to home games, pre-parties, to orange road trips, they are the best way to get social all through Birdland. Game tickets, drink tickets, DJ, transportation for road games, they've got it all. It's not just the Orioles. Be More Around Town has purple road trip packages to all seven away sites for the Ravens schedule. Show the league just how well Ravens Nations travels. Just sit back and let Be More Around Town handle the planning. Not into sports? Well, you're probably not listening to this ad, but remember that Be More Around Town has events for concerts like bus trips and tailgates for Dave Matthews Men. And a few packages are left for Billy Joel. You know, that's a big thing for me and Jake. Check it out at BeMoreAroundTown.com. Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is May 25th, 2015. This is episode 123. I am Scott Magnus, your saving patrician guru, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my gut feel in the tip of my stomach, Jake English. You should find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com where you can catch all of our episodes along with various blog posts. You can also check us out at baltimoresportsreport.com. They've got their own podcast there along with Baltimore Sports Today, which is a daily recap of all things Baltimore sports. Tune in all season uh, as we bring you BSR Post Game Live. Uh, we'll be on there on Tuesday night to do the post game show. We will not be on there on Thursday since we'll have a double header which will be at 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock. And unfortunately, me and Jake don't really want to do a post-game show at 7 o'clock at night. Um, you can also check us out on various third-party applications such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and uh, that Apple product known as iTunes. And please go to those sites and give us a review. We don't care what it may be. We just want to hear your opinion out there about how bad we are doing out there. You should also be checking us out on social media at facebook.com slash bbcast or just type in bird's eye view into Facebook. We'll pop right up. Or check us out on the most important one, which is Twitter, at BirdseyeViewBL. With that, Jake, I think it's time we uh, dive right in. What's your drink of the week? My drink of the week, I'm going back to a uh, an old favorite for me tonight. It is a gin and tonic. New Amsterdam gin, nothing special. Uh, heavy on the lime. Mm. And you? Uh, Jake, I'm going with a Coke and whiskey. Uh, Tullamore Dew Irish whiskey with uh, m- mixed together up in a Coke bottle. Not a bad combination. Emptied out a lot of things out of the uh, out of the fridge and the, uh, the liquor cabinet this weekend. I am pretty much fresh out of beer and almost fresh out of liquor now. So the uh, liquor store is going to get a quick uh, three hundred dollar tab for me this week uh, when I decide to visit them. 
That is the worst. Yes. Everything always empties out at the same time. It's not the worst because you go in there with a giant shopping cart and make a lot of friends. <laughs> and you get that look from all of the other. No, you get the two looks from all the other shoppers. One one half is the people that are jealous. Yep, they're like, mm, lucky bastard. And the other ones are the people that are judging. And they're like, mm, AA is calling. Um, speaking about AA and medical issues, <laughs> let's go to the medical wing. Um First news out was Dylan Bundy was scratched from Tuesday's start with stiffness in his right shoulder. Team says it could be tendonitis. Jake, another prospect goes down. This means Hunter Harvey's out and Dylan Bundy, your top two prospects in the Orioles organization. Look, I don't want to overreact. This is the internet. It would be irresponsible of me to overreact, but this is kind of concerning. Yeah, this is very concerning. And yeah, I know the Orioles have had uh, you know some good starts from some of their young prospects, but your top two prospects in your organization going down has to be an issue. Uh, for this organization moving and, forward. And look, if Dylan Bunny's going to get hurt moving forward, let it be a groin or a hamstring or anything else besides that arm. Well, maybe a back because J.J. Hardy came out of the game today um, and basically said it was a had a slight gingerness in running the base pass. People were saying that it was just a back issue. Um, he came out afterwards and said, oh, you know, it's feeling fine after the game. Yeah, okay. I'll believe it in a few days, too, to see how it progresses. I'll be interested to see if Buck actually puts him in the lineup tomorrow night. Probably not. Yeah, my guess is no. Um, but Norris rehabbed on Norfolk on Friday and got completely drubbed. Uh, the scouting report was that he was throwing meatballs up to the plate and the batters were literally destroying them. So I think he had nine runs and two innings pitched. Yeah, I was going to say the scouting report uh, is not the important part. The line showed that he was throwing meatballs. That's all you needed yeah, to the, see. But, and again, I don't really care so much about the line in a minor league game. Yeah. If you're mm-hmm. progressing along the way and saying, okay, I'm looking on this pitch command, that's fine. But the fact that the scouting reports came out and said, He's tossing, you know, 90-mile-per-hour fastballs over the middle of the plate, and it's got no movement. Uh, not a good sign. I try to take the emotion out of this whole Bud Norris thing, being angry at him for ruining my opening day and all that kind of good stuff. Um, look, you know, whether or not he's come down with the sucks, which is why he's on the uh, on the DL, uh, Buck Showalter keeps insisting that it's bronchitis. You know, he's lost now 14 pounds. He's got a stamina issue because he's he, he hasn't been able to train while he's been ill. Uh, I think this is going to be one of those things where they've just got to give it as much time as they can. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it also might be a good situation to put him back into the bullpen and kind of stretch him out as a long man reliever in the future as well. Um, let's go over to somebody else that's re- rehabbing right now. That's Ryan Flaherty, who's back in the AAA lineup today. He's targeted for a potential Wednesday return to the Orioles lineup. Didn't we rush him back last time, though? Yeah, and when he went down the second time, it was something that a lot of people started to to question. Is this going to be the type of thing that lingers all year? Um, The fact that we are considering Ryan Flaherty to be an important part of this team shows us how our season is going. Yeah. Um, But I agree with you that I I don't think that he should be rushed. Um, You know, it's not that I want Ray Navarro in the club. It's not that I'm really loving seeing uh, Cabrera play the field. It's not that my uh, heart's desire is to have Steve Steve Pierce in the lineup because he's required at second base. But Ryan Flaherty does us no good going up and down and up and down like this. Right. Um, Other individual that is a previous top prospect would be Kevin Gossman. He's still doing bullpen sessions. He won't do a simulated game until June the 2nd. This has gone on a lot longer than expected. You know, when he said that I've kind of got a dead arm, I was kind of figuring, okay, two weeks or so. But it seems like it's stretched on a lot longer than that. I'm really not worried about it because... I'm not worried about it. Just more of like annoyed to a certain regard. Yeah, in addition to trying to get him back 
uh, at all. They're yeah. trying to get him back as a starter. And I think they can't just put him in the middle of a throwing program. They can't yeah. put him in the middle of progression. They really have to start over, not from scratch, but think of this as a very condensed It would have been like training. a nice thing to work on it during spring training right. when he was healthy. But. but but now that they're here, they've got to take their time with it. So again, I think that they will probably max out the time that he's going to be able to spend on the DL before he starts getting into game situations in AAA. Because beyond that, I think that they also want to limit the number of innings so that when he can come back as a starter for the Orioles. Let me let me just say, they've limited his innings, so he's they, in good shape now. <laughs> they have certainly done that. Uh, so Matt Wieters is also working on his rehab. He's going to be catching in Bowie on Tuesday. He was supposed to catch Dylan Bundy. Of course, that is Nick's now. Um, and they've talked about alternating him between DH and catcher while he rehabs at Bowie. Okay, that's fine. And actually, if he comes up to the Orioles, that's probably not a bad that's thing, too. That's what he'll too, be doing, yeah. Because that's really what he should be doing. It'll be interesting to see how they work him into the DH role, especially considering that they've already got two DHs on the team in Jimmy Paredes and Delman Young. You mean second baseman Jimmy Paredes and right fielder Delman Young? Yeah, okay. I think we all saw Jimmy Paredes play second base, and it was not pretty. <sighs> it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it wasn't pretty. Um, with that, I think that covers most of the medical wing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, let's go over to the twat. This week on the Twitters. First, we've got one that, that really, it speaks to the heart, Scott. It speaks to the heart. Nelson Cruz, who tweets at NC Boomstick 23, tweets out, supporting my former teammate Manny Machado's baseball tournament. And it's got a series of pi- uh, pictures of uh, Nelson Cruz uh, posing with former teammates and, and uh, signing some autographs and just being part of the event. First of all, really cool. Really cool job. Of Nelson yeah. Cruz to, to do that. I thought actually it was it was even more cool of the Mariners to allow it because, you know, he had to have gone to somebody and said, yeah. Hey, would it be all right if I went, you know, across town instead of being in the hotel with the team and, sure. and do this thing? And somebody in the Mariners said, yeah, sure. That's yeah. the right thing to do. Go ahead and do it. So I, not only pat on the back to Nelson Cruz, but I, I say the Mariners good on you too. So Nelson, you know, we miss you this year. We're just not going to miss you in two or three years from now, basically. And we saw it all in those games, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, we saw the power we missed, but we also saw the, the defense. Um, this goes into the next tweet, which is seriously, uh, this comes from our good friends at Orioles Uncensored. You can follow them at O's Uncensored and it says, if people are expecting Chris Parmalee to turn this offense around, we are more screwed than we realize. That's pretty much true. Yeah. 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 Although have you, well, we'll get into the AAA business later. I want to come back to the one post that was on uh, Mass and Sports uh, this week, and this was a great uh, comment uh, that Matt Kremenitzer uh, posted. You can follow him at Kremenitzer. He uh, writes for Kim Depot, um, and his response to this article is, huh? And it's uh, a post on Mass and Sports on the Daily Blog, and it's from Dominic Vidala on uh, Bird Watchers, and it's talking about how the Orioles have done it right by uh, you know raising and uh, working with young pitchers. And I just say, What? Are you kidding me? Which young pitchers? Which young pitchers? And, you know, what have they done right? Sure, you know, Mike Ritz had two good starts now. Great. And Aldrich had, you know, a brief appearance and did pretty okay. But to just throw it out there and be like, yeah, the Orioles do a great job at, you know, developing their young pitching is complete hogwash. And and the, the facts bear that out. Yeah. So uh, I don't – I responded in equal fashion being like, uh – Really? And uh, I'm glad other people looked at that article and said, this is um, this is fluff. And uh, that takes a lot coming from us to say that's fluff. It really does. Well, maybe from me. Yeah. The next one, we're going to hear from Eric Fisher. Tweets, of course, at Eric Fisher, SBJ. And he said, uh, the tweet is as follows. Manfred, meaning, of course, Commissioner Rob Manfred, lays the gauntlet regarding Masson. Quote, sooner or later, 
Masson is going to be required to pay those rights fees, end quote, to the Nationals. Well, that's not ominous whatsoever. That sounds a little... I think it's actually interesting timing, too, considering that, you know, it's been the courts and we're waiting on the judge's decision. And for Manfred to just come out and be like, yeah, whatever happens, this it's fine. We're just going to go back to basically making it our way in, in the near future as well. It's just a matter of time. Yep. Which he's probably right. <laughs> um, this comes back to the recent uh, kerfuffle is the best way I can describe it with the whole Brian Mattis situation. Jeff Passan writes, and you can follow him at Jeff Passan, glad to see the age of performance-enhancing sunscreen is upon us. Just make the stuff legal so we're spared the full morality of it all. Look, here's the thing. It's very difficult to have a discussion about this now that an Oriole has been nailed for it. Um, but I thought there was a very insightful conversation that took place in the MLB network. Um, what? Yeah, on the MOB network, uh, on, on the radio side of things. Oh, on the radio side Steve of things. Steve Phillips okay. in the morning uh, had a discussion with, uh, I think it was Todd Hollinsworth, about, look, it's silly. The hitters think it's fine. Everybody thinks it's fine. The only time it's not fine is when it's so obvious that the other manager has to begrudgingly go out and say something. Let's just make something available to the pitchers that's signed off on and that's legal and just get it over with. And again, that seems very tainted now that an Oriole has been suspended to say something like that, but... If you can't take it from me, take it from a lot of people in baseball that are starting to have that discussion. Yeah, just it, there's definitely other people doing it, but it's definitely against the rules. So it's as simple as that. You yeah. broke the rules, you, you're going to face punishment. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, if it weren't for the whole roster situation, I wouldn't mind not having <laughs> Brian Mattis around <laughs> right. for eight we'll days. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, next tweet, it's going to have to go into the woof category. And we're going to end the twat on this. Pat Holden, you can follow him at PFO Holden. He uh, does the Highball Talk uh, podcast over at uh, Camden Depot. An Orioles podcast? That'll never work. Yeah. Although it's a really cool podcast today if you haven't taken a look at it. But they talk about how bats are constructed and different types of woods that are made of bats. And it's really kind of a cool, you know, behind the curtain kind of look at bat construction. I, I found it interesting, at least as a dork myself. Uh, Adam Jones and Chris Davis both have a weighted runs created plus of 62 in May. Team is fortunate to even be sniffing 500 on the month. Okay, that's a pretty valid point. If your number three and number four hitter are batting 40% lower than the league average, it's pretty poor. And the rest of the lineup is even worse. Well, I mean, Jeremy Perez and Manny Machado have had a pretty good month. Yeah, but once you get to Adam well, Jones in the lineup, it's a bunch of automatic outs, isn't it? Once you get past Adam Jones, it's kind of a black hole at that point with a, an occasional spark by like Kayla Joseph or right, something like that. Right. But outside it, of that, it's six pitchers. Yes. Yeah, hey, Mike Wright got on base that one time. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, you know, like we were just saying, there's been some good instances with like Manny Machado and Jimmy Paredes, but there's been a lot of bad this past week, too. So uh, let's go through that briefly and try to pick out some good moments and some bad moments. You know, we've really reached a new low, I think, with that particular segue. I think we just hit our demographic right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you, you, you ex- said it exactly right. We've got to take the good with the bad this week. It's been a rough uh, bit of Orioles baseball. The Orioles certainly are not out of it, but they're not helping themselves any. It's the rest of the AL East that's really keeping them in the race. But I, I figured we would just go through and kind of take a look at some things. There's good news and bad news. 
And uh, in a lot of cases, there's good news and bad news about the same items. So, so good news, Jake. O's Farm System appears to have turned out and acquired a few useful MLB caliber arms. Well, like who? Mike Wright, Tyler Wilson, uh, Oliver Drake, and Chaz Rowe is really not, you know, minor league talent. But it's an acquired, you know, draft, uh, not, an acquired talent by Dan Duquette. So, and he was somewhat useful. Somewhat useful, yeah. He didn't have a bad appearance. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give him a, a minor, I'll give him an extra point, basically. Right, so, good news. The Orioles are, are starting to bring some stuff up from their minor league system, either acquired or, or you know, um, local that, we, uh, that, that are helping us. Here's the bad news. Bad news. Not so much with the position players. Yeah. You know, and while the Oriole corner outfielders struggle, the Norfolk outfield is pretty dismal, too. All right. Nolan Reimold has a 722 OPS. All right. Daryl Alvarez, 594. Oof. These were guys that people were hoping in spring training would make a push to make the club. Yeah. That 26 man that was basically just, just missed the roster. Almost. There's no help on the horizon. Oh, hold up a second. I mean, there are folks that are out there clamoring for players like Chris Barmley, who uh, has an 845 OPS, and Steve Clevenger, who has an 815 OPS. So there are players down there that are doing all right offensively. All right. Let's talk about Steve Clevenger <laughs> for a second. I don't know what he did to get in the doghouse, but he is there and he is not coming. How in trouble with the organization is Steve Clevenger? I can answer it with two words. Ryan LaVarnway. Okay, I understand Ryan LaVarnway is pretty abysmal at the plate. Um, but I will, I will say the game that I saw Ryan LaVarnway catch this week, he had some excellent throws to second base. So from a defensive standpoint and from a catch framing standpoint, I thought he did an excellent job for that game. Okay, uh, and, and I'll give you that. Yeah. But, but how, how many games has Ryan LaVarnway appeared in? Uh, yeah, not many. Yeah. <laughs> and he hasn't appeared because... He, well, gives next to no value he gives next to no value but again he's a backup catcher so any backup catcher even like caleb joseph back in the day when he was backing up matt weeders wouldn't have showed up any more than he currently is so as a backup catcher you know you would hope that he's doing a little bit more but kind of just making sure the ball doesn't go past him is the most important thing for the game <laughs> i mean do you think that clevenger could be used in a in a you know crazy world in which he was brought up as the as the backup catcher as a DH or a late inning pinch hitter or something of that nature? I don't think so because I raised that question last year and I said, you know, as a left-handed bat and the Orioles are really struggling with having a left-handed bat in the lineup last year in 2014, I thought Steve Clevenger might be an option as a left-handed bat, but the Orioles obviously didn't see him as a good left-handed bat option. I think this is just a small sample size and Steve Clevenger is flashing at the right time, but I don't expect it to hold it for, for very long. Just my personal opinion. Chris Parmley is in a similar boat. You've got a 30-year-old uh, infielder that, um, you know, he's a corner infielder. So he's either going to play first base or third base, and he's not going to play third base. So you're looking for first base, and I've seen a bunch of people say, uh, you know, we should, you know, sit Chris Davis and put Chris Parmley in at first base because look how well he's doing in Norfolk. Well, you know, looking at numbers that, you know, people that were batting last year in AAA – Similarly, like Kevin Pillar, yeah, Kevin Pillar came up uh, to the majors this year with the Blue Jays, and you know he started off the season great against that, the Orioles. Against the <laughs> Orioles, and now he is, you know, like a fifty-four weighted runs, weighted runs created plus. So, you know, it's it's you're going to see some type of regression to a certain regard by going from you know AAA to the majors. Now, players like Jimmy Prades is a perfect example of that too. Very similar OPS numbers in the minors and then all of a sudden got his chance in the majors and was able to contribute. So 
there is a chance that Chris Parmalee could succeed, but it's not a very good chance. And you would have to make a roster spot open. And I just don't see the roster flexibility at this time in order for them to do that. So it's as simple as that. And the thing about Jimmy Paredes is it different from Chris Parmalee is that the organization worked very hard to keep Jimmy Paredes here. Yeah. They acquired him. They lost him. They reacquired him. There's obviously something they saw in him that they wanted in this organization because they knew that at a certain level, they probably didn't think it was going to be this big, but they thought at a certain level, he could help us here. Right. You know, Chris Parmley, I don't think has that kind of track record, even for the organization to make yeah. any kind of effort to catch, to, to keep him if, if they lost him. And so, I, I mean, I, I agree with your assessment that, you know, maybe he could help out a little, but we're talking about needing to replace Awfully big roles. Yeah, I totally agree. So Chris Parmalee might be a person that would come in if like Steve Pierce or Delman Young were to get hurt. But there's no way that otherwise that Chris Parmalee is coming onto this roster at this time. All right. Good news. All right. What's the good news, Jake? The good news is the Orioles have a number of young arms that can probably help this rotation. All right. You've got Mike Wright, who hasn't faltered yet. Still way too early, but we got uh, more put in this week. I have to address something here. All right. Uh, I was. It was brought to our, my attention this week that we screwed up last week. Okay, is that always the case? Yeah, but this one was singled out and 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 pretty garring, I think. Okay, um, we we called last week's episode right uh, right puns, right puns, because there were so many right puns all week, and we refused. And we refused to go to, to right engage. Puns, yeah. We we were not going to sully ourselves with that. Although we got a lot of flack for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the Baltimoreans got in touch with us and and told us that because we had said so many times that the proof was in the pudding, but we hadn't had enough pudding yet, that the proper name of last week's episode was Not Enough Pudding. Mm. And I hate to admit when they're right, but Baltimoreans, tip of the cap, we apologize. You've also got other great prospects like Kevin Gossman down, throwing 30 pitches in the bullpen session. There's a lot of hope for this rotation. Um, And and just looking at 2016, um, you know, Mike Wright is not an individual that I would have considered for the starting rotation, but maybe he's an option if he continues to display this. But I will come back and say, very small sample size, I'm going to come back and say, Brad Bergeson, it could be an easy situation of if you get another Brad Bergeson on your hands. Yeah, and the thing is, is that with, with his caliber of pitcher, he's got to prove us wrong. Yeah, and I think he'd be a great setup person based off his pitch arsenal, but we'll we'll see what happens. But again... After only 14 innings pitched, I'm not going to claim him to be an ace. I'm not going to claim him to be a top-of-the-rotation starter. I'm not going to claim him to be the greatest pitcher that the Orioles have brought up from the minor leagues. I'm just going to say, two some two gutsy starts. Ten of the cap to you, and I love it. And it really, yeah, yeah. Bingo. I've enjoyed watching enjoyed it. Watching I hope it. it continues. I hope it continues. But more than likely, I'm going to rely on the scouts that have told me he's probably a back-of-the-end rotation starter at best. So that's the good news. Yeah. What's the bad news? Well, Chris Tillman <laughs> continues to struggle. Um, he had his range short an inning start, which I was at. Three innings pitch, but my concern with it is, you know, he has a very strong uh, issue right now with command. His uh, fastball velocity is down right around like 91 miles per hour. Um, and, and not to mention in your rotation, Bud Norris is getting lit up in AAA. And once he returns, he's going to have to either, you know, improve dramatically or suck up a bullpen spot. And you're going to have another Rebaldo Jimenez situation, just like you did in August of last year. Clear the potholes. Here comes Bud Norris. Yeah. So, Jake, good news. All right, let's hear it. After going up against the AL East opponents for most of the season, the Orioles got a break with the opportunity to play a weekend series against the struggling Miami Marlins. Yes. Yes. Bad news? Well, uh, how did that work out yeah. for us? To be fair, we did go 2-1 against the, the Mariners. So, 500 split against teams out of the division? I don't think there's any way you can make me feel any better about what happened in Miami. 
sequencing. Can I ask you something? Sure. This is an awkward question. Yeah. Is there any chance that in any of those games, the Orioles were outmanaged by no. Dan Jennings? No. So you think it's just sheer, dumb, bad luck sequencing? Okay. Okay. I I am willing to uh, take that. And I asked the question about managing. Yeah. Because of the next good news. Okay. Good news. Good news. We finally get a week free of Brian Mattis walking batters in key situations. That's good news, right? Uh, no, I've actually got bad news for you. Number one, he's appealing. So you don't get the suspension right away. So you kind of get a tease with that. Um, the other issue is it leaves a roster a man short in a week where the Orioles have a doubleheader. So the Orioles are hoping, hoping, hoping that they can get through this doubleheader on Thursday without the league basically saying, nope, your appeal was rejected. Uh, I'll be interesting to see if Major League Baseball does anything to reduce it. I don't think it's going to happen. I think if at best, it might get down to six games, but still, like you said, you're talking a week with a short roster spot. So hopefully the Orioles can get to a time where they can stretch it out, maybe a few off days here or there. And uh, let's just hope it's before. It's after Thursday. That's all I can say. If not, it's going to be a pretty ugly week. And if it is after Thursday, I guarantee the Buckshaw Walter brings Brian Madison right before he's going to get suspended and just throws his arm off. Um, get as many innings as you can because we're going to be a guy short in the bullpen. Definitely a possibility. This definitely game, a possibility. you know, damn the torpedoes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you always want to be a starter, Brian, so here's your chance. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to start in the fourth inning, Brian, but uh, I'm going to need you to go the rest of the way. You know, funny about that. We have the situation on Thursday with the doubleheader, and we're ta- we've got a situation where we have a roster in flux. Let's talk about who could possibly be pitching in that game on Thursday. Every day I'm shuffling. i can't tell if you were really on point with music tonight or whether this is an abomination uh yes (laughs) (laughs) all right so we're going to talk a little bit about shuffling the deck uh orioles pitching staff this this year has been let's call it a challenge shall we i mean first we had uh, previously reliable starters forgetting how to pitch bud norris i'm looking at you um, then the pitching staff managed to stabilize mostly. They put together at 1.7 straight quality starts. And then the lineup. And, and May hasn't been that bad. I think they posted no. like a 3.23 RERA. So very similar to even last year in the second half where they kind of had a pretty lower ERA. So a, a really respectable situation uh, in terms of pitching performance. Um, and right now the rotation is pretty solid. You've got Gonzalez, Chen, and Jimenez who have been pretty good. Uh, Chen and Gonzalez have had some rough starts as of recently, but not terrible games. Um, bend but not break kind of game. So, and, and and really, what we need to see less of is ten runs on two innings right. and stuff like that. That really, you mean the Jerry Guthrie experience? Yeah, that that wrecks the entire <laughs> rest of the week with your pitching staff. Right. Um, and Mike Wright has yet to be exposed. Um, and as we discussed, you know, the proof was going to be in the pudding for Wright tipped to Baltimore runs. Um, but you know, so far so good. But let's not you know, fool ourselves that everything's going to be perfect and work out fine. So I want to come back to Thursday and Buck Showwater has a few challenges ahead. First, he has to find a way to get through this doubleheader and patch together pitching staff moving forward. That probably is going to have Brian Mattis suspended. So let's start with Thursday. Who gets the ball? Mike Wright is expected to get one of the starts because that's when he would be next forecasted to pitch. So I think that's an obvious choice that Mike Wright gets the ball for one of those games. 
Um, but there's a lot of speculation about who's going to be the other person that is pitching, and it could be someone not on the active 25-man roster. Jake, if you remember, for double headers, there's the 26-man rule, mm-hmm. and the 26-man rule allows someone to come off the 40-man roster onto the active roster for one, for the double header and be able to play. So, for example, you could have a pitcher, and that could be your starting pitcher for the game, or you could pick a position player up, have him play for both games of the double header, and then he could immediately be optioned back down to the minors and his clock doesn't restart again too so let's be fair yeah this will probably be the 25 man rule yeah because the brian mattis, if brian mattis is is suspended yes well let's get this out of the way sure uh, a lot of people have been saying well why couldn't it be gosman or norris why don't we just shorten up their uh rehab right. starts or, or rehab situation um you know they're, they're available we we know them they're a known entity I think that's very unlikely to happen. There's no way that Norris is going to do it. They've already said that, you know, he's conditioning-wise, he's not there. I was really hoping Gossman was going to be available by this day because I kept looking ahead to it. But based on his trajectory with his recovery, there's just no way that he's going to be available either. It was just my personal hope, which never seems to work out well for Orioles baseball. I hate to do this to you. Yeah. I think him do, uh, not pitching is the right call. Because, Probably. Because bringing him up and having him start would be just another yo-yo. And, then they, I, and I understand that. It was one of those situations of if it worked out well with if he was already in the Norfolk roster and was in the pitching rotation then said, oh, look, Kevin Gossman could pitch on this day. I was like, great. But he just hasn't projected in the fashion that it was. I'm just saying a week ago when I was like, oh, Kevin Gossman might be able to make that timeline. Uh, that timeline has been pushed back once again because the Orioles – either lie about their uh, their injury you know predictions or they hold it back from the public which is good business practice on their standpoint it's just very frustrating from a person that has to run a podcast and also be a fan right um the next time i see uh kevin gosman i want it to be because he's back and i want to see him every fifth day and frankly i want to see him be awesome right just saying um Rockabaco put out today saying uh, Tyler Wilson had a shortened start today with Norfolk in case he's called off for the start of the game one of the Thursday doubleheader. Um, yeah, okay. Um, Tyler Wilson is an interesting option from a from a talent starting point. Um, if you look at it from prospects, t- Tyler Wilson is definitely probably the best one available right now. Mm-hmm. My only concern is he's only averaging five and two thirds of an innings pitch per start um, in his AAA uh, appearances in the in this year and last year. Um, but, of course, that's exactly what Mike Wright has done down there as well, and he's done pretty okay. Um, but the other individuals that name is kind of bantered about is a good fill-in, which is T.J. McFarlane. And uh, T.J. McFarlane has very similar stuff, you know, not a very high-powered fastball, similar command, similar strikeout. Um, but the one thing that was interesting to me is I decided to go and take a look at the White Sox thing, uh, stats, and looking at their splits against left-handed pitchers, um, well, they're pretty poor. That's the best way I can describe it. Jake, the, in terms of OPS against left-handed starting pitching, they are 68 OPS plus, which means they are 30 percentage points lower than the league average. That doesn't sound good. And that's against a left-handed starter. So I think that's an interesting I think that's an interesting stat. I'm not sure if Buck would ever pay any credence to it, but I think it would be interesting to say, okay, you're now TJ McFarland. And if Brian Mattis is available, you could always bring Brian Mattis on top of it as well and do a TJ McFarland, Brian Mattis start and basically combine it for four plus innings and then two plus innings and then get into the heart of your bullpen, hopefully. Just a just a weird idea. No, I I, I think you're right. I think the right call is, is TJ McFarland. And it's not the sexy pick. Tyler Wilson no. is much more sexy. And it's like, hey, Mike Wright did great. So let's bring up Tyler Wilson and then he'll do great. And then we've got the future ahead of us. But TJ McFarland is probably the best choice in terms of 
you know, just getting through the doubleheader. And, you know, T.J. McFarland, I feel like a lot of people beat up unnecessarily. Me. Look, he's not Greg Maddox. No, he's not. Look, I, I get this. He's not going to be a phenomenal Major League Baseball player. If he isn't, he'd be a Major League Baseball player. But he is a really good candidate for this. This thing that we need right here, we need innings, we need a spot start. T.J. McFarland has that in his toolbox. He has it in his toolbox to be marginally effective for a few innings. He could probably give you five or he can probably give you five innings. He probably can give you five innings and that's about it. <laughs> and and they can probably be pretty okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he could absolutely get lit up, but it also would not surprise me to see him go five innings and give up one earned run. Right. Um especially and, with those numbers against left handed pitching. And he is not going to get on the mound in a major league game and be nervous. He's been there before. Right. It's not an audition for him. It does not affect the trajectory of his career. This is just another day at the office for TJ McFarland. I, I think that when the Orioles acquired him in the Rule 5 draft, they probably didn't expect that he was going to be starting for them every fifth day. They probably said, look, of all of the guys on the fringe end of our 40-man roster, he's better than all the other cats we've got. And I think largely that's that's probably still true. Yeah. Actually, I'll... I'll come back to the left-handed starter thing i actually misread this so compared to the splits for uh the players relative their relative total for ops it's uh 30 percent points lower but compared to the entire league they're actually at 55 ops plus which means they're 45 percent lower than the league average against left-handed starters and that's over 200 plate appearances this season small sample size maybe but i think that's a pretty dynamic trend that's all i'm gonna say so if he's not suspended Brian Mattis all day long. Brian, 18 innings. TJ McFarland and Brian Mattis all day long, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, I'm going to spring it on you last minute. I know we didn't, we didn't talk about it before the show, but uh, any thoughts to Steve Johnson? I, it had popped in my head, and I was like, that would actually be a pretty cool thing. And I know he had the one start back in 2012 against Detroit. But the problem with Steve Johnson is he's only been doing relief appearances. And number one, he would have to be stretched out. And number two, he's not on the 40-man roster, so he would have to be added to the 40-man roster. Not to mention, if he was added and, well, to be fair, if he was added and then optioned back down, he would still, if he was that 26-man, he wouldn't go through waivers. So it's an interesting thought. I just don't think he's stretched out to be able to do it. I agree that he's not stretched out. I wonder if they need to start giving him more innings because I think that Steve Johnson is another guy like TJ McFarlane, throws with the other hand, but pretty same skill set in my opinion. I think he's a very similar skill set. I think he could be – I think he's just a good bullpen arm. And I I think the Orioles are trying to keep him in the minors this year and wait around for the roster to basically vanish next year, like Tommy Hunter leave, Darren O'Day leave, and then kind of bring him up as a seventh-inning bullpen arm and see what they can make to work. And combine that with a Mike Wright and Oliver Drake and kind of just say – triple a all the way and we're going to make it work pretty well and if he's not good enough to be on the squad i i certainly think that he's good enough to be the first call in the taxi yeah yeah that strikeout to walk ratios for a bunch of those guys um oliver drake and tyler wilson and steve johnson are pretty impressive in the international league uh, that's a pretty good uh set of skill sets to have maybe not just this year but next year so i would really be interested to see if they can hold out and get Steve Johnson onto the Orioles for 2016. 
you know, we talk about how are we going to shuffle the rotation? How are we going to patch this thing together? How are we going to patch this thing together moving yeah. forward? Uh, let me ask you for the rest of the season. One of the things that you have so correctly railed against is the lack of roster flexibility in yeah. the bullpen. There's just nowhere to go, nothing to do. You know, don't forget, we still have Jason Garcia that's out there somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, who, Shoulder soreness. Yeah, Al. But coming back to the roster flexibility, we've seen an immense amount of roster flexibility this week with up, oh, you know, this guy just pitched, we're going to option him and get another, another arm up here. And it's really been nice being able to not have that rule five pick in the bullpen and be able to shuffle people back and forth in order to get a fresh arm up here. And there are people that are saying like, Oh, Mike Wright's never going to go down. And it's like Mike Wright's eventually going to go down. If just to get somebody, some spot starts. I mean, looking about it last year, Chen was optioned last year just to get a few days for like two or three days just to, you know, get an extra arm up here for two or three days. He didn't need to be, but it was one of those situations where Buck and Dan like to roster bait basically. And if they want to have a fresh arm, they can have it. And it probably wasn't necessary, but you never know what could happen. You could go to an 18 inning game and it's nice to have that extra option. But Norris too. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that whether or not the Orioles uh, contend, I mean, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether or not they contend, do you think it's possible that you could see uh, a veteran arm in the bullpen moved just to create flexibility like like is it possible that somewhere down the line buck and dan could say tommy hunter we love yeah. you but i would rather have three fresh bullpen arms i can bring up and down and up and down and up and down rather than you every couple of days i think tommy hunter is the one person in my head and i think tommy hunter is a great asset and a lot of people say oh you know he gives up a lot of home runs but in realistic if you look at his stats mm-hmm. he really doesn't give up that many more home runs than a good portion of the relief pitchers. I've come back to this in last year. If you look at his numbers, he was like, well, Tommy Hunter got kicked out of the closing position because he gave up home runs. Yeah, he had that period there where he did give up some home runs. But over the entire season, Tommy Hunter gave up less home runs per nine innings than Brad Brock did. And Brad Brock does not strike me as a home run issue. Um, But Tommy Hunter could be an interesting player for like the Mets or something like that, where the Orioles could potentially get, you know, a corner outfielder for Tommy Hunter. Um, it wouldn't be a great corner outfielder, but you know that's something to give consideration to. I think moving Tommy Hunter is probably the only person right now that I would move out of the bullpen that would actually have any value. I'm not moving Darren O'Day. I'm not moving Zach Britton. I think Tommy Hunter is the only one that would have value in the trade market, but I like the idea of having roster flexibility. And I think you've got a nice uh, assortment of bullpen arms in Mike Wright, Oliver Drake, and Tyler Wilson. And I think we're also kind of getting to the point where, and again, this is probably a discussion for a later show, so I, I will stop uh, I will stop rambling, but I think we're going to get to the point where we're going to have to overcome emotional attachment to guys that have been part of winning ball clubs yep. if we want to be able to restock to keep this club winning. Totally agree. Totally agree. All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and uh, break down some numbers from last week, and uh, let's see. Uh, let's just see who owned it. Ah, oh, crap. When it comes to twisting, I just gotta keep insisting, oh, baby. You sure do swing. When it comes to twisting, I just gotta keep insisting, oh, daddy. You are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out and across. I gotta admit, this is kind of getting a little old. Um, Jake, I won again this week, and uh, I went up five to one. So we picked line drive percentage last week. I went with Manny Machado, who had a twenty-three point eight percent line drive percentage. 
New Orleans Steve Pierce, who was actually raking the ball in terms of line drives in previous weeks, and it dropped all the way down to 7.7%. I am the fantasy boss equivalent of getting totally babbipped this season. You are the fantasy boss person of cursing whoever you pick. I haven't picked bad guys. No, but you pick guys and then they go on these horrible streaks. So can you do me a favor and pick like David Lowe next time? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So this stat this week that I'm going to focus on is uh, I've tried to give you some some softballs here, so I'm going to give you another one. No, I'll screw this up. Do you, okay. Don't you worry. I'm going to go with RE24, which is run expectancy per the 24 option. So what this is basically is if there's men on first and second with no outs, it gives a certain run expectancy from that situation, and it basically looks at you know how well a player performs. Um, the Orioles, a lot of people have said they've done pretty poorly. You come back and look at their runners in scoring position on Saturday and Sunday, and it was pretty poor. I think I pulled up the run expectancy for 24, and I think it was negative 7.27. Whereas in the, over the entire week, they were actually in the positive, plus 1.04. But for the past two days on Saturday and Sunday, uh, god-awful is the best way I can describe it. Is this related to that chart I keep seeing you tweet out? It is. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's exactly related to that. So um, just to put this in perspective, Jake. Please do. Jimmy Paredes has dominated the Orioles this year with a 16.02 rating in terms of RE24. All right. You're welcome. I won't pick him. Yeah. In second place is Travis Snyder at 5.07, and Adam Jones is at 4.82. So, Jake, with that, who are you picking this week? All right. So here's... Here's the the way I work this out in my head. Paredes is also 16th in Major League Baseball. It's pretty good. I can't go with Jimmy Paredes. Okay. I can't do it. I care about jinx him. I care about the Orioles too much. Okay. Looking at this list, I'm seeing hitters are at the top. So it, it clearly, you know, I was starting to think about, you know, maybe some pitchers that have done really sure. well in those situations, but can't be sure that they're going to be the ones that get the yeah. call during those situations. So it's got to be a hitter. Then you're going to get more bang for your buck. Exactly. Uh, I hate to do this to him because I don't want to jinx him. I'm going to go with Manny Machado. Okay. I like Manny Machado. The only thing that would bother me about Manny Machado in terms of run expectancy 24 is that as a leadoff hitter, I'm not sure how many times he's going to see runners on base to a certain regard. That's true. He only he only uh, leads off once. Uh, the real problem yes. the real problem is that he's up after the bottom of the correct lineup. exactly. So I'm really banking on Caleb Joseph at this point being on base. But that being said, Jimmy Perez has been batting second for a while now and has been doing pretty well in that second position. So and it's not just Manny getting on for him. Correct. Um, Jake, I really think that Adam Jones is going to turn it around this week. I hope so. Um, Adam Jones has been pretty god-awful for most of May after an extremely hot April. I'm thinking Adam Jones is right around the corner from making some nice contact with balls. He's had a lot of line drives that have been caught uh, right in the infield. Uh, I'm going with Adam Jones for my uh, my clutch uh, RE24 this week. So Manny Machado, I'm going with Adam Jones. Who's going to own it? I, I like it. I, I do have a question for Okay. You. It's a bonus question. We won't, you know, extra credit. We won't count this. Okay. Who do you think, from the lineup side of things, is going to have the worst RE24 over the next week? Um, I would actually was going to say maybe J.J. Hardy, but with his constant flux of currently what's going on with him, I'm going to discount him. Jake, it's got to be Chris Davis. Chris Davis looks completely lost at the plate. There is your softball. Yeah. That's the absolute right answer. Yeah. Although J.J. Hardy has been pretty bad. And with that... Why don't we go ahead and talk about the uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly.
That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, do you want to start this week or do you want me to go first? Oh, absolutely. Let's do this thing. I'm going to start off with my good, um, and I'm going to go with Caleb Joseph. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier on. He's been seeing the the lion's share of the of the reps back there. He's been carrying the load, but he's been doing it admirably. Yeah. And I'm really excited when, uh, if <laughs> Matt Wieters comes back, seeing the role that, that Caleb Joseph will play for the team, because I really think that, especially for the first part, it, it will be co-catching. Um, he, he, I don't know if it's going to be co-catching. It might be like Caleb up there for like five games and then Matt back there for two. And then Matt becomes the permanent DH. Yeah, that could be it. But this week he, he had or a first baseman. Heck, he could play right field yes. at this point. I'm not sure if I'm going to say Matt Weeders with that arm out there in right field. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> All right, Caleb Joseph had a 444 OBP, five hits in addition to three walks. In 15 at-bats. Yeah. That's what I really like to see. Not only is he getting those timely hits, but he's also putting himself on base, as we discussed, yes. for guys like uh, Machado and Paredes. He drove in four runs this week. Caleb Joseph is is really good. Great play discipline this week, in my opinion. I watched him you know, pretty much every game this week, and including the press box, and it's certainly like he had a very discerning eye, uh, which is great, um, not just at the plate, but also to know where the umpire strike zone is to a certain regard, and that really helps in terms of pitch placement. I thought that was really important recently in terms of how good Obaldo Jimenez has been and targeting it. Um, you know, being able to put that glove out and basically be able to frame it in a zone that he knows the umpire is going to call a strike. I think it's a really important characteristic, not just offensively, but defensively as well. My good for the week has got to go to Mike Wright. Seven innings pitch, three hits, one walk. He did have two intentional walks, which raised his three walk average, but one walk that he didn't mean to give up. He did a nice job of stranding runners the whole game, mixed up his pitches very well. And at the very end of the game, he showed that flash of velocity again, uh, just like he did in game one where he ramped it up again to 97 miles per hour. I like the fire in his belly, and he's got a little bit of a you know a situation where it's like, hey, I know this is going to be my last guy. I'm going to give it all I can give, as opposed to just being like, eh. He's hungry, and I like to see that hungry attitude on the Orioles. Yeah, he's been great. And like we, we keep, I feel like we, we need to say, we hope he does yeah. well. Disclaimer is, we hope he does well, but there's a good chance that he probably is not going to do very well. We, we should stress the pleasantly part of the pleasantly surprised. Right. Pleasantly surprised. But disclaimer, the sample size is extremely small, and the scouting reports all say that he's going to fl- uh, falter at a certain point. All right, let's go into the bad for this week. For me, the, the bad... We saw it today. Yeah. On Memorial Day. Yeah. And we saw it in a very real way. This camouflage uniform <sighs> stuff has to stop. At which point is the incredibly, hideously ugly uniforms that they trot out there a disservice to members of the military? Memorial Day is about remembering those who have given the ultimate sacrifice for this country and Major League Baseball is quote-unquote thanking them by trotting out jerseys and hats that they can then sell. So This is a money grab. Yeah. This is a money grab against your patriotism, and it is a disrespect to this country and the people to whom we owe the greatest thanks on this Memorial Day. They ha- it happens all the time, and it makes me sick. Not only do we do this on Memorial Day, we do this on the 4th of July, right? Yeah. And the 4th of July, with all due respect, is not all about the military. No. It's just one more way that they can make a dime off of your patriotism. Do you love your country? 
We'll see, and we'll watch that money roll right in. And I don't even want to hear them say that they do something like give X percent to the proceeds. Warriors. To some, no, yeah. it's not enough. Unless it's a hundred percent, it is not enough. Maybe I should have left that for ugly. I'm probably left it as ugly. Yeah. That. Maybe yeah. we can edit that. Yeah. Out. If anything, America is all about capitalism. So go Major League Baseball. Uh, my ugly for the week has got to go to Brian Mattis. Really ugly incident there with the uh, whole. Uh, Rosen slash sunscreen situation. And yes, we've already covered this in pretty good length. Everybody else is kind of doing it in Major League Baseball. Um, but to get caught doing it and being so deliberate as it is, man, it's just a bad situation. And it's going to cost the team. And it's going to cost the team a roster spot, which is the biggest issue. Um, it's going to put a tax on the team at probably the worst situation. And would would you be more forgiving if he weren't pretty awful this year? Mm, no. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's go to ugly. All right. My ugly for the week is just, it's just obvious at this point for me. And it pains me to do so. It's Chris Davis. Yeah. Chris Davis absolutely showed us nothing in 22 at bats. He got three hits and yes, two of them were doubles, but he had one RBI (sighs) and he struck out eight times. He's, he's a, a, the only good thing you can say about him is that you're probably not going to get a double play out of him because he's going to strike himself out. I mean, it's, it's gotten to the point where he cannot be trusted anywhere near the middle of the lineup. You know, he sat today against the lefty. That needs to that was continue. probably a good call. <laughs> that needs to continue a lot more because Chris Davis doesn't have it, and this team can't afford to let him find his way. To be fair, you did mention RBIs. He does have one RBI. Adam Jones had no RBIs this week. Just point that out. I'll take <laughs> Adam Jones over Chris <laughs> Davis right now. The thing with that bothers me so much about Chris Davis right now is – him not swinging at balls and kind of letting him go straight down the middle of the plate. It's like, are you really not seeing the ball that well that you can't make a healthy cut? It, you're being frozen. I mean, I can understand it happening once in a while, but it happens a lot recently, at least when I'm watching. And it's just like, you have no clue what's coming. Exactly. And the thing is, is that it, it seems to me that when he's looking for location, he's not getting it. Yeah. And when he's looking for pitch the, in the pitch selection, he's not getting it because he can't see either one. And yeah. so it's kind of like, okay, well, if one approach isn't working, I'll go with the other. Womp, 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 womp. Yeah. The thing is, he's not swinging at the pitches that are meatballs down the plate that he should be swinging at and the kinds that he would just drive out of the park in 2013. And he is swinging at the ones that he can't hit. Yeah. And even when they're down the plate, he's getting fooled on, on velocity. He's yeah. just, he's a lost soul at the plate right now. Totally agree. Uh, my lead for the week is going to go to J.J. Hardy. 6.7% line drives. No walks. 27.3K percentage. Woof. Uh, all of his hits have been singles. He has a 190 average. He's been pretty darn ugly at the plate. No pop in his bat, no power, a lot of ground ball hits, just a really ugly experience. And I realized that, you know, he had, you know, a, a few key situations there where he, you know, Joe players in and stuff like that. But it's not the same J.J. Hardy that I'm expecting, and especially someone that's batting either in the six or seven hole right now. Uh, J.J. Hardy certainly is not the same player as he was, and um, it, it's not a good sign um, if this is going to continue for the rest of the season, especially with this back injury that just came up today, uh, that's going to be a big issue for the Orioles moving forward through the rest of the season. So J.G. Hardy is getting my ugly, not so much for the defense, but just from the aspect of not being a power hitting shortstop like he's been in the past. And and if he's not ready to be back, don't be back. Yeah. Unfortunately, he kind of has to be back right now. Or else you're dealing with Everett Cabrera and uh, Ray Navarro at shortstop and, and second base. And I'm not sure if that's a better option. I, I do have a better option. Okay. Steve Pierce. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Of, yeah. of course it'll work. Why Steve wouldn't Pierce, it work? Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't it work? Yeah. Um, all right. 
Well, with that, let's go ahead and blow the save. So I'm blowing the save with this past week. I was in the press box on Thursday, and uh, this is my first time being there, Jake. And it was an interesting experience, needless to say. It fully pulled a realization in my head about how far we have to go with constant talk around us of hits and RBIs and batting average. I feel fully realized that topics such as weighted runs created plus and, you know, FIP and XFIP are so far out of the combination that we are really only in the, in the infancy stage of accepting whip as a decent stat to a certain regard in the press box. When you sit in the press box and you pull up fan graphs and baseball references and people look at you with like, what's that? And then they pull up their AOL account right in front of you. You realize that there is a demographic in baseball media right now that is dinosaurs. And there is a demographic that is trying to reshape the game. Um, it, it fully, you know, influences me of saying, you know, how can people vote this way for a Hall of Fame balloting? Where after being in the press box for one game, I can see why there are certain um, dinosaur ideologies that are present within MLB press at this time. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it might be time to liven up the press, um, especially if it's going to try to survive in the years to come with a new generation of baseball fans coming up from the teens and the 20s. Go ahead. And, and the only thing that I think it would need to do is to be explained a little bit. Yep. You know, because I, I think that the problem and is... And that's exactly what I did, was I sat down with a bunch of people, and I'm not going to name names or anything like that, but I just sat down and mentioned a few things, and they're like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. And I'm like, if it doesn't make sense, then what's the point of using it? It's as simple as that. If, if you know, one one inning a game or something, Masson had a real stat up yeah. there, and then... For for the purpose of explanation, said to the viewers, and this is about normal when you consider yeah. that stat. You know, here's league average, and here's this guy. All that the that the dumb stats do is they provide a comparison to normal that we know over a hundred years of yeah. baseball or whatever. The one thing I pulled out was, and this was one I like. I talked about Babbitt and I talked about Case per nine stuff like that. But those are pretty generic stats. But the one play that really bothered me when it happened was the Manny Machado error play. And it was a close play, and everyone in the press box was like, oh, it's an error. And I'm like, that was a pretty hard-hit ball. And I was like, hold up a second. So I pull up MLB at bat, and I look at the bat ball velocity that came off the bat. And I said, that was a 106-mile-per-hour hit. I said, I'm not saying that, you know, Machado should have had it or shouldn't have had it. I'm saying, but that should have probably been a hit against the other third baseman. I said, my guess is it's Manny Machado out there. People expect Manny Machado to get to that ball. But a 106-mile-per-hour ball? I'm not sure if a, an average third baseman would have got that. And they're like, well, you know, you kind of just had to get a feel for it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And that's why we don't really use errors. <laughs> if, if only Mike Bordick were there to explain batted ball velocity. Yeah, exactly. That's true. If you would have read it really well off that mass and graphic, we would have been in good shape. <laughs> um, all right. Well, with that, why don't we go ahead and close out this show? So, uh, Jake, anything that you want to talk about before we end this? Not at all. I've ranted about uh, camouflage uniforms for, you know, what will... That really should have been the ugly. Will, will probably uh, but I think be... it was the ugly last year, to be honest. Really? I'm pretty sure. You have a big issue with camouflage uniforms. I have big issues, and that is one of them. Yeah. I have nothing else. Okay. Well, again, pretty big week, in my opinion. You're going against the Houston Astros, one of the best teams in the American League. But the other thing is, you've got the White Sox doubleheader, but this weekend... Tampa Bay Rays, number one in American League East. It's a good opportunity for the Oros to kind of leapfrog a few, you know, positions in the AL East. 
the Orioles need to go on a run, and uh, it doesn't have to happen now, but they need to start stringing some series wins together. Get the series win against the Astros, split the doubleheader, and get a series win against the Tampa Bay Rays, and there's going to be a lot of happy people on Birdland. Jake? Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. still here it's over go home go